This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our cards this week, Glenn Wilson, card number 626, outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies, and Glenn Wilson, card number 129T, outfielder for the Seattle Mariners. All right, a two-card episode and getting into that traded set, that always feels good. But before we get to Glenn, we did have an entry in the mailbag this week, David. Yeah, the, the mailbox was overflowing with gifts. Actually, we got two gifts, but only one that we're going to discuss in the mailbag and one that we're going to get to when we get to the to Glenn Wilson's card. Friend of the show, Tim Briggs and son made us a preemptive two-year anniversary podcast gift. They made two cards, one of Jay Baller that has, you know, any card with Jay Baller's face on it is a great gift. This has two Jay Baller faces on it including one on the front and one on the back. So a double J-baller with his resplendent hair, his his chest hair and chains. It's beautiful. Oh, beautiful card. Looks, looks amazing. And the other is an Eric Davis that has the 1988 Tops wrapper pasted behind Eric Davis so it looks like he is a three-dimensional figure popping off of the card. Uh, thank you so much for that, Tim and son. And thank you for... For everything, uh, you know, before he was just making the cards using Photoshop, and now they're actually like getting out exacto knives. Yeah, getting into the multimedia—that's just fantastic. We thank you all for your creativity. If you've got something you want to mail to us, our email address is 1988topspodcast at gmail dot com. But now on to Glenn Wilson today, and why did we choose Glenn Wilson? Last week, when I was looking into Darnell Coles. I saw that he was at one time traded for Glenn Wilson. And I thought, Glenn Wilson had a couple solid years. He was had some ridiculous science teacher glasses and a good mustache. What's his deal? And then as I started digging into it, I fell into multiple rabbit holes. <laughs> and so Glenn Wilson had some, some pretty solid seasons for the Phillies, played 10 years in Major League Baseball, and has had quite a life. There's no Sabre bio this week, so that led me to the deep recesses of the internet. But I found some good sources of information on Glenn, including a portion of Glenn's book, as well as another book that showed up in the mail from friend of the show, Dave Reuter. And Dave found the podcast and sent me a picture of the cover of his book. And the book is called A Philly's Odyssey, Exploring the Forgotten Players of Fightin's Yesteryear. And Dave sent this copy, and uh, it has a very distinctive look, font, color scheme. It looks shockingly like this Glenn Wilson card. <laughs> yeah, it is. 1988 Tops written all over it. So it's got to be a great book on the inside, too. And I've not read the whole thing yet, but it has chapters about different players, including Steve Jeltz and Tadahito Aguchi and Glenn Wilson. So I did read the Glenn Wilson chapter, and thanks, Dave, for the book and the information included inside. I mean, look at this. We've got two books as sources. We've got multimedia cards as gifts. This is already shaping up to be a fantastic episode. So let's go to the front of 626. 
where we've got Glenn Wilson. And Glenn has just popped up to right field is what it looks like has happened here. As a right-handed batter, he has skied one pretty high. I don't think that one has the distance, David. You've got Glenn with that powder blue Phillies uniform with the red trim. It's a pretty good look. Got some good and bad in here, I would say. Some of the good. Love the glasses. Love that science teacher glasses. Love the mustache. Love the hair peeking out of the back. A little party in the back. Business in the front going on, I think. Yeah, giant glasses, but no batting gloves for Glenn. His batting (laughs) gloves are in his pocket, unused. Where else would you put them, really? (laughs) The background of this picture is also not very interesting. You can see, like, the shadow of one person back there, otherwise just an empty dugout. Nobody wants to watch Glenn hit batting practice. There's maybe two people watching this shot, and one of them is the photographer. Let's flip to the back of 626. Glenn Wilson outfielder, six foot one, one ninety, right-handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Tigers, first round, June nineteen eighty. Just like last week's card, Darnell Coles was drafted in the first round. Born December twenty second, nineteen fifty eight, in Baytown, Texas, with a home in Montgomery, Texas. Baytown, Texas, is near Houston. Glenn grew up in nearby Channel View. He was the youngest of three boys. His father passed away when he was six, and at the funeral, Glenn says he heard somebody say, you're going to make your dad's last name mean something. And he said at that point, he thought, I'm going to be a professional athlete. But as a youngster, his hero was Joe Namath, and Glenn wanted to be a professional quarterback. He also, along with playing football as a kid, he also played baseball and was very good. But he said he wasn't really a fan of baseball. He didn't have a favorite team. He mostly played because his older brother played. And he wanted to be like Johnny, his older brother. At Channel View High School, that's a school that's known for its football team. They have an 8,000-seat football stadium. Famous Channel View alumni include quarterback Jalen Hurts and former Bears wide receiver Johnny Knox. At Channel View, Glenn was a multi-sport star. He played football, baseball, basketball, and ran track. On the football field... He ended up playing wide receiver, as there was another guy at at the time who was a good quarterback. Unfortunately, he broke his collarbone during his senior season, midway through the season. On the baseball diamond, he hit over 400 every year, but he wasn't scouted, didn't receive a single scholarship to play college baseball. He was named the Baytown Sun Area Athlete of the Year in 1977, and despite his injury, he was offered a football scholarship at Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State alumni include Dan Rather, wrestler Billy Gunn, and Representative Charlie Wilson of Charlie Wilson's War fame, and also baseball player Ryan Tapera, currently with the White Sox. I think he might be a free agent going into 2022. But Ryan Tapera had an odd incident occur in 2020 where when I was looking at his baseball reference, he received one vote for MVP, and it was an accident. Hmm. A sports writer meant to vote for Trey Turner and instead clicked on a drop-down menu, Ryan Tapera. So in the annals of history, Ryan Tapera has a single MVP vote. Oddly, so does Glenn Wilson. So two of the guys who went to Sam Houston State and played in Major League Baseball had MVP votes. One of them arguably deserved it and one maybe did not. <laughs> While at Sam Houston State, Glenn played football. He was punter for the Sam Houston State team and also a wide receiver for one season only in 1977. He actually ran into some academic eligibility issues. He had failed a class during his freshman year, 
And so he stayed on campus over the summer to make up the class. He was told that he had to take History 2. Academic advisor tells him, take History 2. So he takes the class that he was advised to take. Unfortunately, it wasn't the class that he failed. So he shows up back at school in the fall, and they tell him that he doesn't have the credits, so he doesn't get his scholarship. It all seems a little bit confusing, but from Glenn's book, it appears that the coach told him he had to pay back part of his scholarship. So he goes home, works, pays back the scholarship, and then they tell him, well, you paid off your football scholarship, now you can play baseball. So it's a little bit confusing, but he pays the money off, gets a baseball scholarship, and focuses on baseball playing in 78, 79, and 1980. And while at Sam Houston State, he's a teammate of a young Richard Linklater. Linklater was a a freshman pitcher very briefly before dropping out of Sam Houston and becoming a director, notably of the movies Slacker, Dazed and Confused, Boyhood, among many others. So for his three-year career at Sam Houston, he hit really well. He hit 372 for those three years. That included a 439 average as a senior. He said that he was cocky and that his confidence grew as he dominated his college conference. He did have an incident with his coach late in the senior year where he grounded into a game-ending double play, and his coach suspended him for the final three games of the regular season because according to the coach, he had missed a take sign. So here, again, David, we just like with Darnell Coles last week, a missed sign with a stiff punishment. With men on base, though, why do they have Glenn taking? Glenn swears he didn't see the sign. It doesn't really make much sense. But regardless, the coach stands by it. And Glenn told him, you know, if I'm suspended, I'm just going to quit the team. And luckily, Glenn's mom talked him into staying on the team throughout the playoffs since she knew scouts would be watching and it would reflect pretty badly on him if he quit. So he ends up staying on the team through the playoffs. And that was probably some good advice from his mom because Glenn knew that he was going to be a high draft pick. Scouts had already been out and told him, watch the phone on draft day. And on draft day, he's with his mom and his brother, and he got a call around 10 a.m. from Tigers scout Hoot Evers, and Hoot Evers is just one of the best scout names. (laughs) Hoot grew up in Collinsville, Illinois, which is the horseradish capital of the world, as Mm. well as home of the largest ketchup bottle in the world. Spicy. Hoot played at the University of Illinois and then served in the Army during World War II. He had a 12-year playing career after the war, and in retirement, He was the Tigers director of player development and later the Tigers scout in the Houston area. So clearly Detroit thought highly of Hoot's picks. Sadly, Hoot passed away in 1991. He called Glenn, tells him the Tigers are picking you with their number one pick and I'll be in town in a couple weeks to work out a contract. After some negotiation and Glenn getting into a fight with his brother about (laughs) negotiation tactics and ultimately hiring an agent, which is probably a good idea. He secured a $62,000 signing bonus and was excited to go play for Sparky Anderson, who had been the the architect of the Big Red Machine. But first he goes to AA, which is a pretty good placement for a guy coming out of college. You know, not sent to rookie league, but instead sent to Montgomery for AA ball. Yeah, so he starts at Montgomery in 1980. He plays third base, just as he had in college. And he hit 264 with seven home runs that first year, but also 33 errors. 
1981, he remains in AA, which is now in Birmingham, and moves to the outfield and continued to hit pretty well. And that leads to the fun fact on the back of the card that he had a 306 average, 152 for 496 at Birmingham in 1981. Very fun fact. Very specific as well, except maybe a rounding error. Baseball reference had him at 307. So maybe there's some controversy with the tops accounting here. I think that baseball reference probably went an extra decimal place because <laughs> when I did the math, it was 306.45. Oh, my goodness. So along with that 306-307 average, he had 18 home runs and 82 RBIs. Pretty good season. That's enough to get him a short stint at AAA Evansville to close out 1981. And that's where he opens up 1982. The very first game of that season in AAA, he hits two home runs and Tiger's assistant GM, Bill Joy, meets him after the game. He tells Glenn, well, we've got some injuries in Detroit, and you're making the big leagues. So he gets called up right away. And he made the most of this early stint. He got his favorite number from his favorite player, number 12, Joe Namath's number. He played for Detroit from April until May 2nd, and he hits his first home run against the Royals on April 19th. And through 14 games, he was hitting 342. At this point, a reporter asks Glenn if he's surprised at how well he's playing. And Glenn said, I'm not surprised, but I bet the fans are surprised. I've been doing these things my whole life. You guys just haven't been there to see it. Ooh, yes. <laughs> that attitude maybe didn't go over well with Sparky. And Glenn would struggle with Sparky Anderson during his time in Detroit. And again, Glenn admits he was a little bit cocky, but he's also... A straight shooter. He would get sent back down to AAA from May until mid-July, and he hit 279 with 10 home runs in 42 games. But then after a mid-July call-up, he establishes himself in the Tigers lineup and, and finishes up with a really good rookie season, hitting 292 with 12 homers in only 84 games. He also played solid defense, mostly in center field, and finished with eight outfield assists, which showed the strong arm that he would become known for, particularly during his time in Philadelphia. As an aspiring quarterback growing up, I'm sure he had an incredible arm. He was named Tigers Rookie of the Year. He got a significant raise from $33,000 to $70,000. And he goes into 1983 as an established pro on the first team. And in 1983, he has another good year, hitting 268 with 11 home runs and 65 RBIs, playing good defense. But there was a... Perception that he was maybe a bit of a hot dog in the field and not the kind with the spicy mustard, David. Sparky and some other coaches and pitchers thought that Glenn dove too often, maybe when he didn't need to. <laughs> they thought that he was a showboat and maybe some of those statements from his rookie season colored that perception. And there were rumors that the Tigers wanted to trade Glenn and his disagreements with Sparky added fuel to that fire. Glenn said that Sparky had an ego bigger than Texas and wanted everyone to know that he was the man. And Glenn also said, since I had an even bigger ego and I was the one playing the game, it was probably the best thing to trade me. So going into 1984, the Tigers have a pretty full outfield with Kirk Gibson, Larry Herndon, and Chet Lemon, and Glenn's the odd man out. As we saw with Darnell Cole, Sparky wasn't super comfortable with his third base options. So in spring, he tells Glenn... You used to play third base. Why don't you bring your third base glove? 
even though he hadn't played since 1980 when he had 33 errors at AA. And it went about as expected. Glenn wasn't comfortable there, and Sparky publicly criticized Glenn's third base play. Glenn also felt like Kirk Gibson was the, the chosen one as the local boy. Even if he didn't have a great year in 1983, Gibson was going to get preference, and, and Sparky was also looking for an excuse to trade him and try to get a closer. And that leads to the, this way to the clubhouse that Glenn was traded by the Tigers to the Phillies with Johnny Walkenfuss for Willie Hernandez and Dave Bergman, March 24th, 1984. So he ends up getting traded to the defending National League champion Phillies, which was a team that was kind of pretty old, and the Phillies were looking for that next wave of players. Unfortunately, Glenn would struggle in Philadelphia that first season, hitting only 240. His power would drop off. He hit only six home runs, none in the second half of the season. Meanwhile, in Detroit, the Tigers were blowing everybody away. Bergman would be the Tigers' starter at first base. Willie Hernandez would win the Cy Young and MVP award. In Glenn's book, he questions whether the team might still have won without the trade. And I think that's a difficult argument to make. They picked up the best closer in baseball and the trade did help the team and solidified a, a great bullpen. I mean, they had Juan Berenguer. Some of the pressure in Philadelphia and the disappointment of leaving Detroit led Glenn to a, a pretty dark place at the end of the season. He watched the World Series finale from the 60th floor of a hotel. And after struggling all season and then watching the guy who he was traded for succeed, he was embarrassed and depressed. And he went to the balcony and thought about jumping. But he didn't. But he was at a really bad place in his life. And going into the 1985 season, in the offseason, he starts lifting weights and really focusing on his game. And he also, in his book, admits to taking an anabolic steroid in pill form. He said he stopped after only three months when he heard about Lyle Alzado and the, the problems that steroids caused for Lyle Alzado that ultimately led to the cancer that caused his death. Glenn said that the steroids worked, not just with his workouts, with his physical stature, but also with his confidence. And after that initial attempt, he says he never took steroids again. But the results of the off-season workouts and perhaps chemical enhancement showed on the field. Yeah, he really put it all together that year in 1985, hitting 275, 14 home runs, and 39 doubles. That was second in the National League and 102 RBIs, which were fifth in the National League. And since 1961, only 13 players have hit fewer home runs while driving in more than 100 runs, and Glenn was one of them. Now, it helps that ahead of him in the lineup, he had Vaughn Hayes, Juan Samuel, and Mike Schmidt, so that he always had guys on base when he came to the plate. But still, driving in 102 RBIs with that few home runs is, is very rare. And he led the National League outfielders with 18 outfield assists. That arm earned Glenn the nickname Glenbow. <laughs> we need a sound effect for that. I don't know what it's going to be. Is that the worst nickname that we've had? It's not a good <laughs> Is it better than True Creature? <laughs> it is, you know what? It's better than Creech. Creech. But Creech never had a photo shoot like Glenbow got where he's oiled up and shirtless and has multiple bandoliers of baseballs. You have Glenn Wilson dressed as Rambo, which was an incredibly big hit 
movie in the 1980s. He's got the headband. He has eight baseballs affixed to straps crossing his chest in the way that grenades might have been hooked onto the bands of Rambo. Notice, David, that he doesn't have the Keith Comstock ball sewn onto the crotch. There is extra surface area where he could store more baseballs. Probably could. Probably could have could have had a Dickie Knowles one on the back, too. He also has multiple bats strapped to his back. He has multiple gloves that appear to be attached to this belt. It's a good yeah, look. So probably because of that photo shoot, David, Glenn ends up making the National League All-Star team in 1985. He also had 61 RBIs in the first half of the season, which, which probably helped. Dave Reuter points out in A Phillies Odyssey, Glenn's All-Star intro. And I have it pinpointed in this clip, Matt. I would encourage you to to watch. I'm going to pull this up right now. So in the clip, you've got Dwight Gooden. When his name is announced, he tips his cap. And then Glenn Wilson, when his name is announced, he tips his cap, gives a little wink to the camera, and does the finger gun shoot you and then blow the smoke off of the tip. Like he's Yosemite Sam. He was rocking his science teacher glasses and took his cap off. You know, you can just see the confidence there. And you that's a confident guy. That's a guy kind of at the top of his game. And coming off that Glenbow advertisement, he's really, he's drinking his own Kool-Aid. Yeah, and one other note, David, right after Glenn Wilson, you have Ozzy Virgil who we mentioned earlier in the series, and he does the very slightest of hat tips. That confident attitude earned Glenn a big contract. He got a three-year deal with the Phillies. Unfortunately, in 1986, he got off to a slow start, and there is an article that said, like most sequels, Glenbow Part 2 is failing to duplicate the original. Which was true with Rambo as well, to be fair. Glenn was hitting 181 with three home runs up until the end of May. And really going through a tough spell, he gets support from the Phillies manager who told him he would be in the lineup every day unless he asked for a day off. And Glenn, you know, he comes through and delivers. From June through the end of the season, he hit over 300, had 12 more home runs and 65 RBIs, ends the season with a very respectable 271 average with 15 homers and 84 driven in, leads the National League again in assists with 20. And there's a video on YouTube of Glenn Wilson's 1986 highlights posted by what we assume is actually Glenn Wilson based on the other videos that have been posted there. So like of his kids and of his other highlights. And it's a pretty good video. Watching the video before looking into the season, I was watching this video of like just Glenn striking out. (laughs) And when he's striking out, he's not only missing the ball but oftentimes he's throwing the bat as he's missing the ball he's falling (laughs) down he's misplaying fly balls there's him getting hit by pitches or balls thrown high and tight and then in the middle of the video it turns around and the music picks up and glenn is just jacking the ball so (laughs) i think that this really defined his season and, and that slow start into the the pretty fast finish the phillies Finished over 500 in 1986. They were okay, headed into 1987. So some good video work there, whoever put that comp together. 
1987, Glenn's numbers look somewhat similar to 85 and 86. His average is down a bit to 264. He hit 14 home runs, so no bounce from the rabbit ball there. And in hindsight, kind of a disappointing year given he usually had some power. And so compared to the rest of the league's offensive output, he was down significantly. On defense, again, he leads the National League in outfield assists. So that's the third straight year. He's throwing out guys who are trying for extra bases, but he also had multiple instances where he threw out guys at first base. Yeah, pretty amazing. Either sharp line drives to right field, and, and he was able to catch some some slower runners at first base. He also had another highlight using his arm on the mound. And in a game against the Mets, the Phillies are down 13-3, to so they bring in Glenn to pitch. He gets Gary Carter to ground out. Next up was his former Tigers teammate, Howard Johnson. In the middle of a 30-30 season, Glenn strikes him out. And finally, he got Rafael Santana to ground out for a 1-2-3 inning, giving him a career 0.00 ERA and 0 whip. And in the video, he's got a little bit of an unorthodox motion. He's kind of real quick in his delivery, and he also isn't wearing glasses. So I don't know if, if maybe he didn't want them to fall off. Maybe they were just for show all along. Adding that bit of flair, even by leading the entire major leagues in ERA and whip, with a zero for both. Still, the Phillies in December, they decide that they're going to go a direction. And that brings us to our second card of 129T, the traded set. Does this look like a different guy? Yeah, David, what's happened here? This doesn't look like the same person at all. Yeah, this is not Glenbow. This is definitely an imposter. His mustache looks fantastic. This is Phil Garner-esque. This mustache goes all the way almost over the bottom of his nose. Like it almost goes up the sides. It's so tall. This also is a very generic looking Mariners jersey. Definitely the gym class style uniform shirt. And not one of my favorite Mariners helmets. But uh, yeah, Glenn looks real different here. This is an odd picture. On the back of 129T, we have the This Way to the Clubhouse that that Glenn was traded by the Phillies to the Mariners with pitcher Mike Jackson and outfielder Dave Brundage for pitcher Tim Fortunio and outfielder Phil Bradley, December 9th, 1987. Phil Bradley was also a 1985 All-Star who had fallen off a little bit but was still a solid player. Glenn was expected to come to Seattle and be a starter, maybe return to his All-Star form. Instead, he only played 78 games there, he hit 250 with three home runs in a very disappointing half season. He said he had never been as unhappy in his career. And in July, he's traded again to the Pirates for Darnell Coles. Yeah, and these two star-crossed baseball players, they connect and similarly have injury problems. So Glenn ends up having knee surgery within a couple of weeks of arriving in Pittsburgh, finishes the year hitting 340 in his last 13 games after he recovers. At the end of that season, he had good success off of a future Hall of Famer. If you look at baseball reference, Glenn shows up on Randy Johnson's home run log. As the first two. In one game, he hit the first two home runs conceded in the big unit's career. Early in 1989, he hit a third home run off of Randy Johnson, which tied Johnson with Ron Darling for the most home runs uh, given up to Glenn Wilson. 
This would be the Mark Simon love to face, love to face Randy Johnson. Not a lot of people say that. So in 1989, with the Pirates, he in 100 games, he hit 282 with nine home runs. But sometimes his mind was in another place. We're pulling up now onto the Jumbotron, the 1990 Tops card. And let's look at the fun fact on the back. It says that Glenn was all-conference football punter at Sam Houston State University. He's owner of a gas station. <laughs> That's a weird sentence. He's owner. My jaw's on the floor. Like, what? I mean, why is he... They buried the lead in that, too. I mean, both of those are interesting facts, but they really had space that they could have put more <laughs> information about his gas station owning. He owned Glenn Wilson's Hit and Run Exxon in Montgomery, Texas, which was the only full-service station between Navasota and Conroe. He God, that sounds like a Lyle Lovett lyric. <laughs> Glenn said, baseball is my hobby, this is my job. Uh, his hobby happened to make him $750,000 a year, I don't know how much the service station made him, but it wasn't just a gas station convenience store. He had full-time mechanics on staff and was running a a full business. I love it. At the end of that 89 season, he gets traded so he can be closer to the store or just because it worked out for him to get traded to the Astros. He goes to Houston for Billy Hatcher. He's happy to be close to home. His mom and his brother could watch him play more often, but he was never really comfortable in Houston. He felt like Art Howe was focusing on the younger players and didn't give him enough time to get going in Houston. And so in 1990, a pretty average year for him, 245 with 10 homers, still strong in the field as always. When he went to Houston, Glenn was initially promised a multi-year contract, but ownership ends up changing their mind, and he's granted free agency after 1990. He tries to catch on in Atlanta, but plays 29 games at AAA and then is out of baseball in 1992, rehabbing a knee injury before attempting a comeback with the Pirates. For the Pirates AAA affiliate, he was pretty good and had normal Glenn Wilson numbers hitting in the 270s, but he only ends up playing 10 games for the Pirates in 93. He hit only 143 in those 10 games. Yeah, but he made a big impression David, after Marlins reliever Brian Harvey struck him out to end a game on June 13th, Glenn said, that situation is what you dream of, mano a mano. Either you're Billy the Kid or Billy the Goat. Sadly, the next day, Glenn was cut and called it a career at 34. But he did. He made such an impression on Pirates fans that to this day, he's still quite famous on the niche Pittsburgh-based comedy series, pittsburgh dad which you can find on youtube and which my dad who is a pittsburgh dad loves it's about all things pittsburgh about the stillers and it has everything related to the way that pittsburghers pronounce words and about their favorite things it's kind of the chicago party ant of pittsburgh Two hundred and sixty-two thousand followers on twitter Pittsburgh dad did tweet, former Buckos outfielder Glenn Wilson and Pittsburgh dad might have been twins separated at birth with a picture of the two of them side by side, same glasses, similar facial hair. It's pretty good. Very good. So that closing the book on Glenn Wilson's career, 10 years that Glenn played for five different teams, 1,200 games and more than 1,000 hits, a 265 average, 98 home runs, 
and 521 RBIs, that one all-star appearance in 1985. How about in retirement? For a time, he ran the gas station. But economic pressure from convenience stores and other gas stations pushed the hit and run out of business. Glenn said it was the only thing I ever enjoyed doing other than sports. With that business venture closed, he went into coaching. He spent some time in the independent league with the Amarillo Dillas, the Central Bend Aviators, and the Chillicothe Paints. He also went through some difficult times in retirement. When Glenn retired, he said he was prescribed painkillers. And he kept taking them throughout retirement and gradually developed a dependency. He ended up addicted to painkillers and, and also saw one of his sons go to prison for two years for drug issues and, and other issues. But Glenn was able to overcome that addiction. And from what I could find, his son has also been able to turn his, his life around as well. Religion helped Glenn kick his drug habit in 2008. And Glenn found God and has been preaching in recent years, sometimes in prisons, but also to um, just generally preaching and, and sp spreading the word of the Lord. Glenn and his wife, Kim, have been married since 1980, and they have three sons. Lance Michael, named for two Phillies teammates, Lance Parrish and Michael Jack Schmidt. Rudy, who at one point played for the Rockford Riverhawks of the Frontier League. And Andy, who also played college baseball and spent a year in the minors. Glenn was hired on to coach at Alpha Omega Academy in 2017, and in 2019, he actually handed the head coaching reins to his son, Andy, and took an assistant position on the team. So, David, now that we've looked into what's really fascinating guy, what do we think of Glenn? I felt like every corner I turned, I was finding something more about Glenn Wilson. I thought it was really on brand that Glenn had that shirtless Glenbow ad <laughs> and then confidently steps up and points his finger guns at the all-star game camera. And it showed a guy at the top of, of his game, but also just a year earlier, he was at rock bottom and contemplating suicide, but he was this cocky brash player who backed it up consistently for three seasons at the plate. But really consistently on defense. He was 22nd overall in defensive runs above replacement in the 1980s, ninth among outfielders. He's currently 65th in right field assists all time, which is pretty good considering he only played 10 seasons, and some of them were only portions of seasons. He had an amazing arm that people still remember. On a Bleacher Report list, he was the 36th best arm of all time. But he wasn't just showboating. He also had really good range in the outfield. Earlier, I mentioned that college teammate Richard Linklater played with him at Sam Houston. And in 2016, Linklater directed a movie called Everybody Wants Some. He called this a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused and Boyhood. It was kind of a Dazed and Confused the college years. And it focused on that college freshman baseball player based off of Linklater and portrays some of his teammates. And one character is Glenn McReynolds, who's defined as the big man on campus. And in one scene, McReynolds loses a game of ping pong and throws his paddle at the young pitcher. In the marketing push for the movie, Link later said the McReynolds character was based off of Wilson. And there's some things that are in dispute here. In interviews, Link later said that Glenn called me and, and thanked me for making him a leader in the movie. But according to 
Wikipedia, and in an unsourced claim on Wikipedia, Glenn wasn't happy about his name being used in marketing and may have filed a lawsuit. I haven't found anything that says definitely, so I just want to put that disclaimer out there. And also, according to a YouTube commenter named Glenbo, commenting on a, an interview with Linklater, he said, This commenter, Glenbo, said, I never played ping pong with Linklater, and I did not ever remember him. I admit I was cocky, but to me it was confidence. To make it in the big leagues, you better believe in yourself. I was not invited to the making of this movie, which was obviously not a very good movie. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually Glenn, who posted that as Glenbo, but they're claiming to be Glenn. So there might have been a bit of unpleasantness with the movie, and maybe rightfully so, because overall it seems like Glenn is a pretty good guy. At one point, Philadelphia sports fans voted him the player who they most wanted to have a beer with. <laughs> and so he might have been annoyed by that portrayal that he was uber competitive and, and perhaps lashed out, especially if he legitimately didn't remember this guy from 40 plus years ago. But interestingly, on Facebook, I, I saw something that, that made me feel good about Glenn here. And somebody commented on this Philadelphia baseball page where a post was wishing Glenn a happy birthday. And this guy said that when he was a kid, he sent Glenn a letter and he never got a response. The author of that, of that birthday post tagged Glenn and said, how about an email message for this guy? And Glenn said, send me a personal message. I'd be happy to send you some autographed cards. And so Glenn, I think, still appreciates all of these birthday wishes and, and is, is active on, on social media, posts a lot of pictures of his kids and, and grandkids, and is really proud of his family. He wrote a book called Headed Home that's really honest about his relationships in baseball and his struggles and his career. He's proud of his accomplishments on the field and proud now of his life and recovery off the field. And that life that he's rebuilt after overcoming addiction. He said what he, when asked about his legacy, I just want my legacy to be that my family would say I loved him, especially my wife and three sons. I just want my headstone to say we loved him. Glenn has found a deeper meaning in life and is, has, uh, has, has turned his life, which at one point was, was pretty, pretty sad, has turned it around. A very warm way to end it and very fascinating player and a great story. So thank you, David. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you're a proud Amarillo Dilla, we would love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. 